as Brother Phillips said, it absolutely a glorious, glorious weekend last weekend. Still been rejoicing in the blessings that came. The Lord showed unto us. He gave me wise counsel this morning, told me to not go off like a shotgun. <laughs> I've been to a lot of meetings lately and have had a lot of thoughts and the Lord has blessed many of them in my studies and I pray that this morning that he would continue to bless, that it might be edifying, and that his name might be lifted up. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Last night, I, I, these verses have been on my mind for quite a while, and I hadn't really sat down to really think about them. I've had other subjects on my mind. Last night, verse 10 came onto my mind, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The power of his resurrection. There is a lot of power in that. More power than I can truly comprehend, than I think anybody can truly comprehend. This is one who, this is God who came down, who walked this earth, who bled and died for us, and was raised again. And not only did he conquer death, but he conquered hell. And he rose again. I'd like to look at those verses, but I also would like to look at John 5 as well. There are some things in there when it comes to the, the uh, resurrection that have come to mind. Now, there's a lot about the resurrection that I'm still studying, still trying to understand, but there are things that I think are beneficial at this time. When it comes to that, chapter 5 of John, uh, verse 21 says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Why is that important? It's because they're one. That's the reason why it's important. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, that quickening is that regeneration, causing them to live, 
Even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto, his, unto the Son, that all men should honor the Father. Verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He that heareth my word. You know, one of the things a while back, I, somebody had asked me a question about this and said, well, I didn't hear his word. But I tell you, brethren, after last weekend, I can tell you that I heard his word. There is power in that word. When he came down, when he came down this morning and sung with us, I heard his word. I was moved in the pew because I felt his spirit. We feel that from time to time. It may not draw emotion out of us, but we joy in it. Our inner man longs to hear him. I, I, this last week, I, I didn't have a week like that. But it was a blessing that I didn't because I was able to continue to keep my eye on him every day. I'm thankful for that because most of my weeks are not like that. Most of my weeks are droughts and it's just dry and barren. And I get moments here and there, a little bit of snippets of heaven. But brethren, when we get to come together and worship him, what a great blessing that is. We hear his word. We feel his word. We feel it within our hearts and our, it, from inside of us. We want to just shout. I can't express those feelings well enough, but to suffice it to say that it is something that you can't deny when you feel it. You can't. I love that feeling. I long for that feeling. I have been looking forward to coming unto his house and worshiping him because at the end of the day, he is the one that matters. I am nothing. But by his good grace has he brought me here that I may get away from this world, that I may hear his word spoken, and I might rejoice in him. Because of that, because of that, there's a, there's a, uh, not a consequence, it's not the right word, uh, uh, subsequent action, if you will, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word to say, but there's something that we know because of that, that we have everlasting life through our Lord and Savior, not because of anything that we did. With what, with what Paul said here, he said, and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, meaning those works that I might perform, because it's not my righteousness. It's the Lord's righteousness. It's the righteousness that has been imputed unto us by the works that he has done, not by anything of mine own hand which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That is the faith that has been given unto us. It's that faith that we rejoice in, that we believe in, that we cling to, that we hope for. Each and every time that we come to this place, that, that, that belief that He will come and be with us for just but a moment, hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death, Unto life. We have such a great blessing. We don't have anything to fear. 
This world can throw anything and everything at us. But guess what? We are not uh, at home here. We're not at home. We're strangers here. We long for that place. I long for that place. I, you know, I understand that uh, between, being, uh, be, being betwixt two, that's not the right way he said it, but essentially that's what he said. I long to be there, especially when we have those hard weeks. Because I know that those things are better. I know that that place is better. I know that for a short time, we will suffer. But it's in, I think it's 2 Timothy, uh, I think it is, is where it says, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Or if we suffer, we shall also reign with him, I think is what it says. Because in Philippians, it says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. We suffer because we are his. Because we're not at home. We're not at home. You know, when I travel, there's a... There's a little bit of suffering that takes place when you're dragging all the kids and everything and the luggage and all of that. And you, you get a little bit of a taste of it. Not, it's not nearly the same, but um, you get kind of a, a, a sense of what it, that could be. But brethren, when, I, when you go to another church and you hear the same word preached there that you might at home, there is joy to be had. There's still fellowship there. Those are saints that are worshiping in spirit and truth. And we get to do it with them. We get to come unto the house of God there, just as we have it here. What a great blessing that is. There is so much wondrous joy to be had here in this church. I am so thankful that God has continued to bless this church because it lifts me up each and every time I get to drive by her every time I think about her, every time I think about any of you, because you're my association to it. I think about you often. Or if I drive down OCL. <laughs> it says, verily, oh, excuse me, that's wrong. Yep, that's right. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall hear, er, they that hear shall live. For as the Father ha uh, hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment, also uh, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that hear are in the, uh, that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and they shall come forth. They that, have, they, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Everyone, we rejoice in him right now. There are those that say, I don't believe in him. There are those that are not his children that are out in the world. But we believe in him. We're a smaller portion of the entire elect family. But what a wondrous blessing that we have where we can come and hear these words, where we can understand these words and understand that everyone will bow. Everyone will bow. Everyone will hear his voice. Everyone will understand that there are those that will have life and those that will have death. 
It is a wondrous blessing unto us to know that we have been made heirs and joint heirs. That is uh, consolation. That is more than enough. The sufferings that we experience here are best stated in 2 Corinthians. Uh, I think it's 4. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We look at those things that are not seen. We look at that because we have a hope. That hope is inside of us. We long for that day. That We have that uh, confident expectation that what He said, He will do. We know that our Lord will come back. We know that He was risen. I wasn't there. Physically, I wasn't there. But when He was on the cross, I believe that I was on His mind. I believe that you all were on His mind. I believe when He took those stripes, when they pierced His hands, when they lifted Him up, that you were on His mind. What a... I, I can't even fathom the wonderful blessing that is. The sufferings that I experience are small compared to what He has endured. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died for us. The things that I experience are minuscule compared to Him. He is everything. And we have the opportunity each and every Sunday at meetings, whenever, together, together to worship Him and to say, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the one. Worthy art Thou. You are my Savior and I love You. I, the things that I have, it's like what Paul said, they're, they're but dung. Everything that I am is but dung. Everything that I've gained, it's loss compared to the excellency of Him. Just the knowledge of Him. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ. How wonderful is that? I pray that I never take that for granted. I pray that the Lord will continue to bless this church. That we would come together and look forward to that day when we shall be risen with Him. I, 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 oh, I can't wait. I'm excited. I, I cannot wait. Come ahead, brother. It's always been my case that I have far too much on my mind I have to try to figure out the direction to go <clears throat> being made conformable unto his death when I consider the apostle Paul in, in his life 
he was made more conformable to death than I've ever been. He suffered more than I ever have. But his desire, friends, wasn't whip marks. He endured them joyfully, but that wasn't his desire. His desire was not to be imprisoned or shipwrecked, although he endured that, I believe, joyfully when it happened. But he had a desire to be made conformable to Christ's death. Go back to John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, our Lord, I think, lays a, a wonderful contrast before us. A contrast that I can't begin to imagine what the other side must look like. Starting again in verse 24, where Brother Seth was, he says, Verily, verily, whosoever heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That is a very clear-cut verse of a situation, a consequence, and a reason for that consequence. I mean, I know we don't use the words hath very much in our, in our vernacular today, but that word hath cannot be read any other way than already has. It's already in possession of. If you hear his word and you believe on him who sent him, you are already in possession of everlasting life. You have already passed from death unto life. You already have no condemnation. And, you know, as, as we have seen, when that, when that scene takes place, when we hear that, and friends, we are blessed far beyond, I don't want to say just humanity, we're far blessed beyond the overall majority of the, of the people of God in the sense that we've heard His Word. It's been preached unto us. It's been declared unto us. We've felt His Spirit come down in power. And we've looked into things that angels have desired to look into. We look into things that the prophets themselves did not even understand. And when that case happens, it is an encouragement all over again to us that we really have passed from death unto life. The reason I have uh, uh, hope in his resurrection, and I feel the power of his resurrection, is because if, it's the re if the resurrection was not real, that would not be the case. If the resurrection was not a reality, you would never hear his word, you would never believe on him who sent him, you would never hear his voice coming to you, you would never have the fellowship of his spirit, you would never have any of these things. Every time a man is blessed to preach, there is your confirmation that Christ is alive and on his throne, having been raised from death unto life. And when that is the case, it is an indication to us of what verse 25 says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour cometh, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. When that experience is ours, when that circumstance is ours, we have the ability to hear his word. We have the ability to believe on him. We have the ability to confess him. And that can come by no other way than that Christ comes to us personally, individually, by his sovereign power, and does what he will, when he will, to whom he will, as it pleases him. That's what this verse says. It's, the hour is coming, it now is, it's been taking place all down through the ages, that we hear his voice and we live. Now friends, we love the fact, I trust, that we're regenerated, right? We love the fact that we're part of the household of faith and we can come in and have fellowship with him and we can have knowledge of him, we can feel the power of his resurrection, we even sometimes have fellowship with sufferings. We sometimes have these things that we uh, go through together. But then Christ says something that puts the whole thing in contrast 
Because in verse 28, he says, marvel not at this. What a contrast that is. I marvel at regeneration. I really do. And here's the reason I marvel. Why, Lord? (laughs) Why? I mean, how did you pick me? By nature, I'm no better than anybody else. In my own folly, I'm probably worse than most, if not all. Why? I marvel at that. I also marvel at when he comes. I mean, he came to John the Baptist in his mother's womb. He came to the thief on the cross at the 11th hour. I was, it wasn't the 11th hour of the day, the 11th hour of his life. Anyway, I mean, when he comes, I, I marvel at that. I marvel at how he takes pity on us. I marvel, friends, when I can sit there and heaven is open before me. I marvel, friends, when my soul is reaching out to glory and by an eye of faith I can see him whom my soul is. I marvel at that. But Jesus says, marvel not at this. Marvel not at this. Do you realize that being made conformable to his death was something that Paul could look forward to and rejoice in because of what Jesus accomplished? I've I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, that we are often charged with having a good doctrine to die by, but not a good doctrine to live by. Friends, our doctrine is the only doctrine to live and die by. And yes, it is something that we can look at death, and we can look at it with hope and joy and expectation rather than fear and dread. But all the days leading up to, you know, death, in and of itself, it's just, it's just a moment. The real problem with death is all the moments leading up to it. As Sonny Piles used to say, it's not death I'm worried about, it's dying that gets to me. I mean, it's the process. It's, it's how we get there. I mean, how much pain is going to be involved? How many trials are going to be involved? How prolonged is the period going to be? I don't know. But friends, I can look forward, not just at death, but in life leading to death, and not have fear because of what we believe. The Apostle Paul was not worried about what he was going to go through. I love what he tells the the brethren at Ephesus there in Acts chapter 20 when he talks about all the things that had befallen him and all the things that he expected were coming and all the things that he had faced. Here's what he says in verse 24 of Acts 20. He says, but none of these things move me. I'm not shaken by this. I'm not worried by this. I'm not struggling with this. He says, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. In other words, if I die, it's okay. He says that I might finish my course with joy. Paul was looking forward to something. He had expectation of something that had given him power over everything he might face. Friends, you have the same power because you and I have been made conformable to his death and all the things that we experience, no matter whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether we're up, whether we're down, as Paul would say later in Philippians 4, he says, I both know how to be abased, I know how to abound. I know how to be hungry, I know how to be full. And I've learned in all things, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Why? Marvel not at this. All that you see, even in a good way. Jesus says, The hour is coming in which they that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that are done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that are done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. This situation of the resurrection, we rejoice in it 
We look forward to it. But by being made conformable unto his death and having power in this resurrection, it's not something that we have to just wait and look forward to to enjoy the blessings of. We can experience the blessings of it today because I don't know when the resurrection is going to be. I don't know when this situation is going to occur. But consider the contrast that Paul has made. As good as Rich Mountain was last weekend, as good as the camp meeting was last month, as good as any scene you've ever had in the house of God. I mean, the, 20, uh, the 2002 camp meeting here has to this point been the best meeting I've ever been to in my life. It's got competition now. And the only reason Rich Mountain didn't beat us is because I wasn't there the whole time. I was here at Bethel from Thursday night all the way through Sunday. It was just a, a glorious time in the house of God. And when those moments come forth and you can say with uh, uh, Christ and you can say with John and you can say with Paul that you know that you've passed from death into life, that you can say, I know that I have eternal life through Jesus Christ my Lord. I have no condemnation. I am passed from death into life because He's come into my life and He has blessed me by speaking life to my poor benighted soul and He's given me a hope in Him. When those moments come, you know what one of the greatest things that happens in that moment is that you understand in that moment that as good as this is, it's going to be better. As good as what you're experiencing is, it's going to get even better. As good as you've heard it, it's going to be heard better. As good as you've sung it, it's going to be sung better. And as good as any man has ever preached it, I can assure you Christ is going to preach it better. No matter how lifted up you feel, you're going to be lifted more. No matter how much you rejoice, you're going to rejoice more. No matter how much majesty you see, you're going to have even more beholding you in that very first moment that you see Him in glory and live. And what is the, the, the purpose of that? The purpose of that is that when we, as pillars and uh, avenues of life, walk through a dead world, that we are a testimony that life is still here that Christ has brought life into a dead world. You know, when Lazarus was raised from the grave, and I, I, I marvel at this, he was a testimony, a walking around, walking, talking testimony to Christ's power over death. And they were so, the Pharisees were so put off by this, they said, we've got to kill that guy. Because it's because of him that even more people believe in Jesus. What's the sense of that? If you kill him again, Christ can just raise him all over again. I don't understand. But I do understand because we're stupid. I, yes, I said it. We are. There's no other word for our depravity. It's stupid. I mean, we make boneheaded decisions. We make boneheaded judgments. We look at something and say, I know what that is, and we call it completely wrong. Well, friends, you and I may not have lain in a grave for four days. But I can assure you the very same power that it took for Lazarus to come forth is the very same power it took for you to say for him to say live and your soul and spirit to live. It's the very same power. And as Paul would go on to say in Ephesians chapter 1, the very same power that it took to raise Christ from the grave, the very same power it takes to regenerate you, the very same power it took to raise anybody from death to life is the very same power that it takes for us to believe. That's amazing that when you and I believe in him and rejoice in Him. We hear His Word and we believe on Him. 
who sent him. Friends, the very same power it took to raise Christ's body from the grave is the very same power that that takes. What is that in this world? It's a testimony to Christ's power over death. Not just your regenerated state, but the evidence of it as you believe in him and you confess him. As James would say, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. He says, Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll confess him. I'll tell people that I believe in him, that I believe him, and that he is my Lord and that he is my Savior. Not as a, a boast, but rather as a testimony that he is alive and his power still works among men today. When that happens, you know what's happened? You've been made conformable to his death. Because he never shied away from declaring who he is, what he was doing, and where he was going. I mean, nobody believed him. <laughs> he came to his own, his own received him not. You know, he was in the world, and the world knew him not. Even his own disciples, who at times believed in him, there were times they didn't. And friends, there is need for us who believe to understand that in those moments where we have a lack of faith, where we have a lack of hope, where our zeal has become cold. You're not going to find the peace, the security, the strength out among the waste pots of this old world. You're going to find it around living testimonies of his power over death in his house and with the fellowship of his saints. Amen. You know, Job asked a question in uh, Job 14 and verse 14. He says, if a man die, shall he live again? You know, Job had just got through declaring an experience in nature that actually answers that question. An experience that we actually see right out there, sort of. He actually asks in Job 14, 7, he says, There is hope for a tree that if it's cut down, that it will bud again. There's hope that if its roots die and its stock groweth cold in the ground, that it's going to bring forth buds and boughs again. How does that happen? Well, I know how Job said it happened. I don't know how it's happening out there because it says through the scent of water this is going to happen. I don't know where that mesquite tree got water, but you look at it and it's all greened out. I know mesquite trees are hardy. I know they can last when nothing else does. But that tree is budding again. That in our yard is a testimony that life after death is a reality. When we have a belief in Christ, that is a testimony that life after death is a reality. When the church stands for over 2,000 years in this world, that is a testimony that life over death is a reality. But all these things that we see, all these things that we experience, whether naturally with a tree, whether spiritually with a household of faith, it does not compare, friends, to what is coming because Christ said, marvel not at this. What's coming is greater. Job says, if a man dies, shall he live again? He says, all the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer, and thou wilt have a desire to the work of thy hands. Friends, there is a time coming that no matter where anybody is, no matter where anybody has lived, no matter how they have died, and no matter what the state of their remains is, the Lord is going to call, and those remains, wherever they are, they're going to answer. It doesn't matter if they've been burned in a fire. It doesn't matter if they've been blown to the four winds. It doesn't matter if they've been buried in the very deepest depths of the sea. When the Lord calls, that dust is going to answer. That dust is going to arise. And the Lord is going to have a desire to the work of His hands. 
It bothers me, friends, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. It bothers me when people talk about a dead corpse and say that's not so-and-so. I know what they mean by that. I know they mean no ill by that. What they mean, friends, is that that so-and-so, whoever it is, their soul and spirit is in glory, to which I say amen and amen. But friends, that dead body that is going to go back to the dust from whence it came is the, is the desire of the Lord's hands. It's the desire that He has that we live with Him, not just in soul and spirit, but we live with Him in our body because, friends, He's not a spirit in heaven. I realize God is a spirit, but the man Christ Jesus is a man in heaven right now who body, soul, spirit sits at the right hand of God ruling and reigning forever and evermore. And friends, the desire that he has to us, the purpose that he has to us, is that we are going to be with him holy and holy. One of those is with a W and one's not. The holy means we're spotless and the holy means with the W means it's all of us. Every bit of us. Not just the entire family of God, but every bit of us is going to be there. And friends, something we don't think about much, we don't consider very often, but Jesus says, marvel not at this. It's not just us who are going to hear his voice. Everybody's going to hear His voice. Everybody is going to come forth. And the very most beautiful sight that we have ever seen is going to be the most awful sight that some have ever contemplated. John writes in the book of Revelation that the sight is so awful that they're actually going to, in their own folly, cry for the hills and the rocks to fall on them. To say, hide us from Him. We can't stand before Him. We can't look upon that face. Friends, there's no hill, there's no rock, there's no anything that's going to hide any of us from Him. I love what David says in Psalm 139. He says, If I ascend up into heaven, behold, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I should take the four winds and go to the uttermost parts of the earth, thy spirit is ever with me. If I should say, the darkness shall cover me, and the night shall hide me, thine eye shall see them, for they are both alike unto thee. Friends, there's nowhere to go. And when we see Him and we hear His voice, everybody is going to look upon Him. Whether good or evil, they're all going to look upon Him. And they're all going to do the same thing. For the first time in history, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. You know, there's a reason why today the devils confess Him. They have to. They have no choice. They've seen him and they know who he is. They know the power that he has. I mean, when he was walking this earth, what did they do when they saw him? They said, oh, no, why are you here? You're not supposed to be here yet. I'm supposed to have more time to do what I want. But friends, they confess him. They they believe, they tremble. Why? Because they've seen him. You know why fallen natural man doesn't confess him? Because he doesn't see him. He doesn't see him in anything. It's amazing to me that natural man does not see him in creation. Blows my mind. I mean, the very idea that something this complex and this diverse and wondrous as creation is, and as precise as it is, I mean, they've been measuring time without watches for a long time by tracking the movement of heavenly bodies across the sky. Friends, that's precise. It amazes me that you can look at this body that uh, David says is fearfully and wonderfully made, that it heals itself, it works to right things. 
And yet if things are just out of balance a little bit, just great consequences occur. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but man who thinks he's in charge of things, there's something out there. I, I used to call it, uh, uh, I forget what I used to call it, and James Isaac corrected me, he said it's called an organism. But uh, there's an organism out there that is one billionth our size, and if it gets in your body, there's a possibility you may not get up out of bed in the morning. And if it goes on long enough, there's a possibility you may not get out of bed ever. It's called a virus. How can we, who can't deal with something one billionth our size, say we're in charge of anything? We're not. We're not. How can we, who say that we understand things and we really don't, come to any knowledge of, have you ever thought about this? Um, I, my boss at work is an architect. Didn't think I was going to use this example, but we're here. So he's an architect. And I told him, I said, Alan, there's a wonderful, beautiful example in creation itself of how God is real, God exists, and we cannot imitate him. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're an architect. You ought to understand this. I said, in everything you've ever designed, in anything you've ever had constructed, where did you start? You started with edges. You started with corners. You started with things of a foundation to build from. And you look at creation, God did not create with edges. He did not create with corners. His whole thing is spherical, circular, elliptical. It has no edge to it. We can't imitate that in nature. You try to build a house that is circular, you're going to have to put some edges in there somewhere if it's going to stand. And yet this creation stands in its circular, spherical, elliptical state. Why? Because God can do things we can't do. Did you know Alan started arguing with me? He started trying to tell me about everything he designed that was circular and spiral and things of that nature. I said, Alan, was there a corner in there somewhere? He goes, well, I mean, I said, I didn't say a square. I said, was there a Well, it may have been triangular. I said, there you go, edges and corners. Friends, we can't do what God does. We can't design like he does. We can't build like he built. There in itself is an evidence that God is real, that God exists. There in our yard is an evidence that God is on his throne and the res resurrection is reality. And friends, I'll tell you the greatest evidence I have in this world that I've been made conformable to his death is because the things that I have seen here with the people of God are things that I can relate to, I can remember, I can rejoice in, and it gives me hope and consolation that what is coming, friends, is even better than what we have right now. I tell you, when your heart yearns and reaches out for heaven, there's going to be a time when it's not just your heart. It's going to be all of you in heaven standing there. Because that change when it happens is going to be final, complete, perfect, and immediate. It's going to happen just like that. And when it comes, I would love to be able to tell you that I understand and I can deliver unto you what the majesty is going to be and what the feeling is going to be, and I can't. But the closest I have in Scripture to what that beautiful sight's going to be for those under the resurrection of life, which I believe is us, is going to be something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, as he's talking about, you know, we see now through a glass darkly, as we <clears throat> now know in part, but then we'll know the fullness, when that which is full has come. He says down in there in about verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, well, it's verse 11. He says, for now we know in part, we prophesy in part, we see in part. He said, but then 
face to face. And I shall know, even as I am known. Paul said he wanted to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be made conformal to his death. I hope, friends, that however much time you've spent in the house of God, however much time you've spent in the Word of God, and however much time you've spent with the people of God, that you know more about Him than you did before. I hope that in 2023 you've known more about Him than you did in 2022. I hope that in 2024 we will all know more about Him than we did in 2023. I hope that I have even more understanding of being made conformable to His death in the coming days than I have in the past. But there's a point, friends, to which I can't cross over. There are questions in my mind that will be questions until the day I die. I've already asked one of them from the pulpit this morning. Why, Lord? Why me? Why would you do this? Only answer we have is is it's good pleasure to do so. It seemed good unto him, right unto him. But friends, I tell you and I certify to you that it's more than just God doing it because it was right and his duty to do so. That's not what this is about. There was something inside of God that the only words we have are joy and love that drew him to you. Not just to his people, to you. Personally. Individually. Friends, he called you out of nature's darkness personally. Individually. I realize when he tells us to come at that last day, it's going to be said to all. But friends, it's still going to be personal. I have every evidence that it's going to be personal to you. This is just my own belief. I can't prove this. But I believe on that day I'm going to hear Philip come forth. That's what I believe I'm going to hear. I'm going to hear him say, Philip, come. You're blessed of my father. Inherit. The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I believe I'm going to hear him say that. And you're going to hear him say to you, personally, those things. But when Paul says, then face to face, for we shall know even as we are known. Friends, he's not just talking about knowledge of who God is. Knowledge of what God's done. Knowledge of why God does what he does. He's talking, friends about knowing Him as He knows you. You're not just on His mind, friends. You're on His heart. You're printed on His soul. He says, I have graven thee in the palms of my hands. My walls are continually before me. Friends, you are on His very person. He knows you like nobody else does. Not just you about you. He knows you. He knows where your buttons are. He knows how you think, how you tick, how you feel. He knows all these things. And if this is sacrilegious, I apologize, friends. It's not meant to be. You're going to know that about Him. You're going to know how His soul feels. You're going to know how His mind operates and how His heart reaches out to you. That's why, friends, when I have His heart upon me, 
when I believe on Him, when He calls us from nature's darkness into His marvelous light, as glorious as that is, friends, there's things on His mind, on His heart, on His soul that I don't understand. But when I see His face in glory and I live and He tells me to come, friends, I'm going to see Him and not just know why He did what He did, I'm going to know what drove Him and motivated Him and spurred Him to do what He did because, friends, had He not done what He done, He would still be God. Had He not done anything for any of us, He would still have all power, all glory, all honor and be the righteous judge of this entire universe. Friends, there was something in Him that drew Him to you. And the reason why on days like this I marvel, friends, at the pity He has on us I don't need to marvel, friends, because one day I'm going to know why He had pity on me at all and why He loved me at all. And I'm also going to know, friends, the answer to that very special question. Because it's not just why. It's why me. Why me? I know why He loves other people, and I know by nature you're rotten too. I get it. But friends, I know why He loves some of you. I've seen the evidence of things that are precious to me. But friends, I know me better than you know me. I know what goes on in here more than you do. I know what goes on in here more than you do. And no, I'm not going to confess those things this morning because it would scare you to death and you'd all run out of the building. But friends, He knows me better than I know me. And He loves me anyway. His desire is towards me anyway. His heart is fixed on me anyway. And I'm going to know why that is. I'm going to know how He is drawn to a person like me. That's why Jesus says, marvel not at this. All the things that you've seen, all the things you've experienced, as glorious as they are, it's going to be even more so. I don't... I don't know uh, what God in His form looks like. I believe I know what Jesus looks like. I believe He's still a man with two eyes, two ears, a nose, ten fingers, ten toes. Now, what does He look like glorified? I can't tell you that, but He's still a man. But I can tell you this. God is not a bald, gray-headed old man sitting on His throne, okay? I don't know who came up with that idea. It's ridiculous. Because baldness is a mark of sin. Gray-headedness is a mark of sin. God is not bald and he's not gray-headed. Can we all agree on that? All right, moving on. So, what does he look like? I don't know. But I can tell you this. He knows me down to the hairs of my head, short as they're becoming, as small as that number is getting. He knows me down to the thoughts and intents of my heart. And whether God himself has hair or not, I don't know. I know Jesus did, and I feel like Jesus probably still does. But let me just say this. The way that he knows me down to this. And the way that he knows me down to this. And the way that he knows me in all that I am. All that I was and all that I'm going to be. I'm going to know him just that well. I'm going to be able to be united to him in a way that I could not imagine. World without end. I said you don't have to wait until that day to reach forth to those things, to understand those things, because as much as I don't understand about the resurrection, about heaven, like Job said, all the days of my appointed time 
will I wait till my change come? Job was not talking about waiting, friends. He wasn't talking about, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. Job was waiting in anticipation. Job was waiting with joy. Job was waiting with a hope that he would go on later to describe in Job 19, verse 23, when he says, Oh, that my words were now written, that they were printed in a book, that they were led with an iron pen engraven in a rock forever. Well, Job, what is it you want to tell us? I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. That's how Job was waiting. That's how Job was anticipating. That's how Job was looking forward to that day. Friends, that's how we look forward to that day. That's how we anticipate that day. As we've been made conformable unto his death, may we go forth as shining testimonies of his power of life over death, waiting in anticipation, not just waiting in dread, but waiting in anticipation, waiting in joy, saying, Lord, come what may of joy or sorrow, thy strength shall be my right hand, and thy praise shall be upon my lips. Let that be our just and due course as we go through life, looking forward to that day that he calls us home, and he does have a desire to the work of his hands. I hope these things have been a blessing unto you. If I've offended this day, you let it to my charge. May the Lord should bless you is my prayer. We're going to stand together, sing a song in conclusion, publish an open door to the church. If there's one more here that would like to join the church today, please come as we sing. We'll also have a handshake one with another. What's your...